Hello and welcome to Outback Stories, a podcast about extraordinary people living in the bush. You're joined as always by regional journalists Lucy Samuels and Lucy Taylor. Well, you know, you have 240 direct jobs, at least, out of the Pelica and out of those little townships. Now, that doesn't sound a lot when you're in Sydney or somewhere, but here it's quite a big uh, heap of the population and you can see the degradation or the falling away of the little towns around us that uh, because there's just a loss of population. What an incredible week. We have some pretty cool news. Mm -hmm. So Luce and I are going to be heading down to Sydney in the next two weeks because we've officially been named finalists in the New South Wales Rural Woman of the Year Awards. It's hard. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It is a mouthful. So it's usually only one woman that wins it. But they co-joined Luce and I, which is really cool, for our work with Extraordinary. Yeah. So thank you to everyone for listening and tuning in to our Rural Stories There are amazing regional people out here that need their voices heard. And obviously with depletion of uh, media and rural media, we thought that it was important to kind of get our voices across. So cheers. And on to bigger and badder news, we took a pretty cool adventure today. We did. We headed out to the Piliga Forest, which is a million wild acres. It's huge. And if you haven't heard about it, you're silly. (laughs) Yes. Massive, you would have. I don't know. You had to have. But we went out there and we caught up with Tom and Bernie Underwood, who are the sole residents of the tiny sawmilling town, Woolly Bar. Woolly Bar used to be this thriving community, didn't it? It was huge. And I love how Tom went into depth about this bush mill. They used to mill um, cypress there and they used to ship it all around the world. And he told us about um, him growing up and his family pioneering this bush mill, which is now uh, not operational and I think that was for political reasons. And yeah. I I personally love this story because the Pilliga Forest has all these scary myths, legends surrounding it. I, I know truck drivers that won't drive through it at night because they're too scared. But Tom really, the Pilliga's home to him. He's never felt scared in there. He's never felt worried. It's home. And I just think it brings everyone back to earth on this idea that it's this big scary yeah, place yeah. and I just I really like that about this story yeah so surrounded by I guess brumbies and nature and the birds singing and this little community in this million acre forest we bring to you the Underwood family so basically we just want to paint a picture of what woolly bar is like to our audience like to get here we had to travel on some pretty hairy roads and past the Brumbies and through the shrubbery. So can you kind of explain what Woolly Bar is? Um, Well, uh, Woolly Bar is a typical bush mill of the time. Um, My dad built it in 1933. They were all scattered. All the mills were scattered through the bush because it was easier to bring the logs to the mill than than there was no transport available good enough to sort of go the other way. And it was easier to cart the bit that you produced than all the logs for distance. So uh, this was probably a little bit different than most of them. And, and then we had a school, um, which was a big help, particularly the kids, which was I was one of. But they were all like this. It was just a little mill sitting in the middle and you had the, the houses, which when we first came here and all the other previous ones, we had three, four, I think, before this one, that houses were only meant to last 10 years. 
because that was considered to be the time that the logs around you would last, the logs that you could get close. So you built, so you could move. Are they all in the scrub as well? They're all in the bush, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the piliga? Oh, well, the piliga. (laughs) I love it, of course, but uh, it's just a marvellous place. It's It's a big natural forest. It's one of the biggest natural forests in Australia. Um, in one area, it's a million acres, and it's uh, predominantly it's it's a funny setup because uh, it's it's divided into Pilliga East and Pilliga West, and they're totally different. Uh, Pilliga East, which is east of the the Barren Creek, uh, is basically a lot of eucalypt uh, with pine as well, but but the Pilliga West is predominantly pine. So uh, we we love both sides. And it, you know, there were, there were good logs on the east too, but they were, this was really the best of it. I always, because this is where I, I used to log, so I always reckon it was the best. But uh, And how did you end up here? How, why Woolly Bar? Uh, well, in those days, you were sort of allocated a block, apparently, and uh, you were allocated a, an area, and uh, Dad was allocated this area. Prior to that, he was on a little mill over Uligal, which is on the uh, about uh, 14 to 15 miles the other side of Kennybry, or you can convert that to kilometres, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he he knew he came and inspected it and he thought this was a better part of the logging, so he uh, he came here. Uh, we also had a mill over. We were Underwood Brothers in those days. He was a partnership with my uncle Jack, and uh, they we, they had the mill at. Rocky Creek, which was about 18 miles from the other side of uh, Kennybry, and then Dad had the mill. They they used to work. They had the two mills going nearly all the time. So Dad used to work Illigal, and, and Jack used to work Rocky Creek, and, and between them they worked the both of them. So Dad then moved from Illigal to here, and uh, so brought all the men and everybody with them, and uh, they built the little houses that basically. They built a little section, like a the little centre section, which had a couple of bedrooms or a, a, a room with a fireplace and um, a couple of bedrooms and then uh, a little kitchen on the back. Yeah. So can you tell us what a sawmill town was back in the day? Describe it to us. Well, it was an amazing place to live. It was... Uh, we had... Uh, uh, all the families lived here and we had the school, so we had all the children. We, we weren't sort of a little isolated area and this was our community. Uh, each mill was a community. We had two tennis courts. Uh, uh, th- this, we did everything together. We had always had uh, functions at the school. The school was the main centre of, uh, of the community. Uh, we'd have Euchre nights and, uh, and all sorts of stuff, but... Uh, so how many people at once, like how big do you think it got? Well, we normally employed, uh, see, in those days, of course, even the, even the bushmen lived at the mill because they didn't have transport either that much. Um, like our old snigger used to come from Kennebury with a horse and dray every week and go back every weekend to his family. Uh, so they all, majority of them all lived on the mill and... Um, we would have had uh, about 15 men employed at the mill and they had mostly had their wives 
and and kids. And you know, we'd have twelve to eighteen kids. It all depends how who, who was a, who was around at the time, because we had a always had a bit of a floating population. You would have met a lot of people, a lot of different people passing through, or was it pretty? Yeah, in, the, in the old days, particularly before the uh, before the war, and I just after the war, we had pretty well a stable stable sort of uh, population. But uh, then it, it become a bit more of a mobile situation. But most people lived here for a long time. Uh, we've had blokes here that worked here for fifty years, and um, you know they came here as kids and. Never left here as, as old men. <laughs> <laughs> Can you describe what a sawmiller does? Well, basically, we uh, we go out and we cut trees down and bring them in as logs, as we call them, and uh, we cut them into whatever we want. Uh, and the beauty of cypress, of course, is that uh, every part of the house can be built out of cypress. Cypress is where all our mouldings and all that in this house, everything is, is cypress. And so that's basically what we did. And we used to sell it, of course. Uh, we we used to sell to uh, Sydney mostly from here. Uh, my dad used to go down early in peace and he'd have a little suitcase full of uh, samples. He was a travelling salesman. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, you know, and then we, we developed, uh, we had a big uh, market in Australia, Melbourne and all down through there as the years went on. And then we finished up uh, selling overseas towards the end of our time, quite a bit. And um, we sold to Japan, we sold to America. But it was, uh, we always, we, we cut it basically into what sizes we wanted. And anything that had to be finished in weatherboards or mouldings or anything, we had a, a moulder and machine. And uh, then we formed it up into the shape we wanted to use as, as a house. Wow. Can you describe... Uh, what Woolly Bar used to be like in comparison to what it is now. Paint a oh, picture for us. Well, Woolly Bar was a driving <clears throat> place. I mean, there were trucks coming and going and there were people all around us. And um, when people used to say to me when I first, you <clears throat> know, which is your community, Baradoon or Canaveral? I'd say, no, Woolly Bar. Because we, if we went into Baradoon or Canaveral, we went as a group mostly. Uh, if we went into the movies, we all went in together. So uh, our life was here. It was it was a thriving little community, and and we we never had horses, of course, because we didn't have a paddock. We had a million acres of forest. <laughs> uh, so we all rode push bikes, and uh, we'd ride eighteen mile, fourteen mile, or whatever we wanted to do on a push bike. Even when we were little fellas, we'd ride into Barrett and Kennebury or Gobbiga. I, I, it's hard to describe the, the feeling of the place, but it was a real community. And what's it like now? Oh, well, there's only four of the wellness. Emptiness. Well, I still love living here. And, uh, and I, I mean, we've had a fellow here that, that we've still got him here, thankfully. He, when, when, when we closed, he moved to Dubbo and bought a house. And um, anyway, then he came back and said, can I move back? So that's the feeling of the place, really. I think it's a, it's a great place. And can you tell us how far it is to the closest town? It's uh, 40 k's. 40 k's. And there's up to Baradine? Baradine. And 50 to Canamble. Now, the Pilliga Forest, which is renowned for its outlandish stories, you know, the Pilliga's in really the middle of 
of nowhere to some, not to us, but to some. I bet you have a few stories, do you? The uh, Yowie's the biggest. Have yeah, you seen uh, the Yowie? Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody's ever seen a Yowie. Um, there was a lot of talk about it, but it was never considered to be on this side. Uh, this side isn't as scrubby as the other side, so they thought it was better for the Yowie to plant over there <laughs> rather than be over here where everybody could see him. Uh, <laughs> so none of us ever saw a Yowie. Can you tell us a story that, I don't know, you've got many stories. Spin us a yarn. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you, yeah, I, I just, uh, there was an old fellow who was a, a forester when we came here. The, the family lived in the in a house just across the, the road there. That old house was there when we came here. Uh, I think it was originally owned by a farmer. I think he used to just uh, run stock in the bush, as far as I know. Anyway, he was a funny old fellow and he, was, uh, he used to tell a lot of stories, uh, you know. <laughs> He had a story that uh, he was out, he used to mark all our logs. In those days, uh, the forester used to mark every log that you took. You, you, you couldn't take one that he didn't mark. And he used to blaze them with an axe and put a stamp on them to say that he marked them. And you'd cut them. And he reckoned he was out in the bush one day marking logs and uh, he had a pocket watch and uh, he just hung it in a tree and uh, when he finished marking, he couldn't find out where he hung the, hung the watch. He couldn't find the watch. So it went on for years and he finally he, he finished up. He came back in there the next time. Mark, we used to turn around, you know, understand. We, we sort of went back to blocks every 20 years or so. And uh, he reckoned that he, uh, he was wandering around and thought, you know, that watch could be just here somewhere. So he said that he went back and he found it. And strange, it was still still going. <laughs> and after all this time, it was still going. And he couldn't work it out, but he had a look and it had a little limb that was across the winder. And when the wind had blown, it used to wind the watch up. <laughs> the boys all added to that. They said that... When he found it, he found the skeleton of his dog underneath in a big hole. <laughs> and uh, he said that, um, that the dog wanted to bring the watch back to him, so he was jumping up trying to get the watch till eventually he dug the hole that deep. He couldn't jump out of the hole. <laughs> so, but he was a funny old man. But he never told a story that was harmful or ever uh, about anybody else, only about himself. He just sort of... Built his own little stories, and he had wonderful stories about the war. And but I used to sit and listen to him for hours. I loved it. No, oh. it was funny. The Pilliga to me seems like it's a little bit spooky. <laughs> to me, it feels like sometimes it's you know weird things happen here. Do they happen here? No, no. Pilliga is the safest place in New South Wales. It's, um, sort it's, of spiritual, it's, though, it's there are right? patches of it that are eerie, and the kids always said that uh, there's one or two places down along the road there you go through balars and, and oh the dark overhanging yeah. we used to call it the magic forest yeah well they used to call it the Ichabod. haunted forest I think Ichabod Crane they reckon was going to gallop through any time uh, I think that. Uh, the acacias, when the wind blows, makes a, an eerie noise, doesn't it? It's a, yeah. sort of a sigh all the time, and I think that, uh, and it's quite dark. 
So that, but the rest, well, you know, I, I suppose that it's not eerie to me because I've lived in it all my life. And uh, so it's just, uh, it's just, Home. it's the scrub. And why do you think people have made, like they've gone with these stories, like the Pilliga Princess, the Yowie? Well, the Pilliga Princess was right. That was, a, that was right. Can oh, tell, well, tell us. That, that was actually a woman that used to walk along the, um, the, Narrabri, the highway between Coonan and Narrabri in the oh. scrub. And she'd get a lift with the truckies or somebody every now and again and go to town or get, I don't know what she used to do. But that's, and, and she was known as the Pilliga Princess. Can you tell us about her? She was, uh, well, she's sort of not my side of the scrub. (laughs) It's like gang wars. (laughs) It's a pretty big place. Uh, She was just an identity that uh, developed here and I think the poor old thing was probably um, had some problem. Uh, Obviously not too much. She lived for quite a long time and uh, she was there pretty famous for a long time and... uh, but she used to just walk up and down the highway. So my grandma, Marnie, Patricia, she yeah. um, she was convinced that she saw the panther. Oh, is it the black panther? Is there yeah. supposedly the panther? She is 100% convinced that she saw a panther on her way back from Cumbie one day. There's a few, actually there's a few that reckon they've seen the panther. I don't know whether uh, mum at one stage had a... She had an inkling that she saw the damn thing, whether it was here or not, but I've never seen her. Uh, you know, and we used to wander around the bush pretty well, but because um, how did it supposedly get out here? What was the story behind it? Well, I suppose they would have considered it got out of a zoo. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> or out, out of a circus, or feral it could cat. be a big feral cat. Yeah, it's a big tomcat. Yeah, yeah. Because the cats, the, the wild cats, do grow very big. Yeah, but we've had a couple at home that have been yeah, huge, massive things. So, you know, if you had a big black cat and in the distance, he could be... Look like a panther. (laughs) And I guess, like, with the scrub, because it is intriguing and these stories come out of it, have you met some pretty interesting characters passing through? We had a lot of very interesting blokes worked here. Were any of them a bit funny with the scrub? Thought it was a bit eerie? I think probably some did, yeah. I think the scrub do, it it had a special sort of a, a feeling as far as the Aboriginals went. Because you, you, was it you or your father that you hired a lot of the Aboriginals in the area and you were one of the first ones to do so? We both did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, I wasn't certainly one of the first ones because <laughs> <laughs> my dad was the one that set that precedent. He was uh, uh, honoured by the Aboriginal, really, because he uh, employed the Aboriginals. They, um, they, we all went, lived here, went to school together, worked together. And uh, and, the, the, and it was unusual in those days, the Aboriginals got the same pay as a white man if he did the same job. So that's what Dad did. That's okay. Oh, so, heritage listing. Yeah, oh, so you are heritage listed. Well, yeah. the, the Aboriginals actually put the heritage listing over us. Really? Because of that. Because of the way they were. So, it's, so it is quite a spiritual area for that reason yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, the, you know, they... Um, well, they still love coming out here, I'm pretty sure. They've always said, you know, that uh, they came here as little kids for holidays uh, with their auntie and uncles, whoever was working here, and uh, uh, they loved coming here because it just felt so so safe and good. 
Yeah. Mm. Can you tell us a few mysteries that happen out here? Any murders, anything like that? Well, we had a couple of mysteries, actually. We had mm. uh, mm. one fellow disappeared and we never ever found him. Yeah, his clothes ended up on our back fence. Yeah. Johnny Gordon. Yeah. Well, that, apparently that was a bit of the thing. It was Christmas and it was very hot. And apparently in the desert, if, if people got lost in the desert, they tended to uh, strip off eventually. And obviously he stripped off. But um, I don't know. We, we never found him. We all rode and walked and we spent days and days here with the police and everybody around and uh, we never found hiding the hair of him. But of course, you know, there's quite a lot of bones and things in the bush from kangaroos and and pigs and every damn thing else. So it would be pretty hard to for any of us that didn't actually... Know the human anatomy. If you didn't find the skull, we probably wouldn't have recognised it. What do people do in the Pilliga now? Well, there's not many of us left in the Pilliga now. That's uh, There's only the four of us live in the Pilliga. There used to be hundreds and hundreds of people lived in the Pilliga. Now there's four of us. Because it used to be quite open, didn't it? Like it used to be quite, it wasn't really as shrubbery no, as it is. No, Why? No. So that's because there's no burning allowed anymore? No, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no logging. logging. Yeah, the logging is, uh, well, we, we still logged and, and it still gets logged, but not as much. It seems like it needs a flood to sort of get a, a, a rush of, of regrowth. Uh, and it, normally you can sort of tell that, you know, that's the 50 floods. Oh, pardon me, the, nine, the 902 were these big fellas that around here were all 1902. Then you had the, the 50s and then the 70s. We had a, so you've got a different size and a different uh, growth in those particular years. They must need that to sort of germinate, I always feel. And uh, so I think it, it is thicker. We, we, you, when I first started to log here myself, and I mean, uh, you could drive the, drive the truck through the bush, no trouble at all. You'd just drive through. And uh, now you'd need, you know, you've got you to have a front-end loader. Because people used to drive cattle through here as well, mm, didn't they? We used to run oh, 200 yeah. head of cattle here. You couldn't do that now? No way. We've got 22 Brumbies that run here and uh, we feed them when it's dry. Yeah. Tell us about the Brumbies because people either love them or hate them, I feel. Well, we love, we got a lovely little group and, uh, you know, I, I, I suppose if they get in a big enough number, they're a nuisance. But um, we sort of look after them. They're, they're, uh, they, they're part of the place. Uh, we lost a lot. Uh, Peter, who's down the other chap down the... The bottom, he's uh, he's the horse whisperer. Uh, he names them all. Uh, you know, he's got uh, he's even got one called Camilla after Camilla Barker Barker Bowles or whatever. Because she's not the prettiest. <laughs> she's not the prettiest mare. But, uh, yeah. but they're, they're a nice little group, and uh, we we mostly lose the mares and. Uh, when it's particularly dry, you know, they're always still having foals and, and they tend to die. Um, but we get foals every year and uh, most of them survive. Is it a tourist attraction out here, the Brumbies? A lot of people come out to see the Brumbies, yeah. Ah. Yeah. What do you find so fascinating about Brumbies? 
I, I don't know. It's just that uh, they seem to gravitate to us here, mainly because we always had a trough for the animals. Uh, and I think that it's been important that we've had water here, particularly in the, in the dry times. And, and, and we've got a beautiful bore, so if, if anything gets used to drinking our bore water, they seem to come back here to drink mostly. And we've actually put a trough in for the Brumbies so that they, they've got, because got the water. dams dry up. Exactly. There's no permanent water in the bush now except for us. And when, so when we're talking about your sawmilling before, you had a sawmill, sawmill near Wobbega, didn't you? Yeah, right in the town. Why do they call it Sin City? Well, that was a, uh, that was a thing that happened in the paper. There was a bit of a kerfuffle about a, a sort of a, a girl and a few boys, and uh, it hit the, mar- hit the news. And they had it in the Herald, I think, or in one of or the Telegraph, Sin City. Really? Well, that's how Bobby Gar got the name Sin City. <laughs> <laughs> it was a because it was little... a quirky town, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. It, well, I loved it. You know, it was, it was, it was funny. Uh, it was a, a town with a reputation of having blokes that didn't mind a fight. Were you a fighter? No, no, no. I was very, very quiet. Uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah. but most of it was. Uh, because of the reputation, the people from other towns would come to have a fight with somebody at Bobby Gun. <laughs> you know, it was quite a thing to beat somebody out there. <laughs> they were wags and, you know, if they had a fight that night, well, they were full. One of them would turn up at the other fellow's uh, house at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so get out here now, you know. Because the pub was pretty rowdy, wasn't it? It was a very busy hotel, but yeah, there were four sawmills in, in the township. So there were a lot of men, uh, a lot of men, and there were 22 sleeper cutters. It, when I first bought the mill at Wabigar, it was a thriving town. You know, we had a cafe, butcher shop, a baker shop. Uh, we didn't have a butcher shop. They reckon that butchers didn't do too well down there because there were too many sheep handy around the place. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone getting their own. Yeah, that was right. Well, they could buy them if they didn't get them. Like that. Post office. Uh, but we had a post office and a, and a general store and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was quite a general. It was a good little town and the hotel, of course. Because sawmilling really was the hub of this area, wasn't it? It really. Yeah, mm. yeah it was. Well, it was, yeah, I think you could say that the townships here mainly were built on the sawmilling industry and, and of course, the farming industry. But uh, once you got sort of into Gobbica, well, they're surrounded by a forest in most cases. And there were 10 sawmills between Baradine and Gobbica. By the time you got from one to the other, there were 10 sawmills. And then you had us all out here. We had this one and Silnui was just down the road, seven miles down. Wombo was out on the Pilliga Canamble Road. Uh, Rocky Creek was out. At Kenny Bry. Wilbur Wangman had a, a, another sawmill just the other side of Kenny Bry. So it was. Uh, it was. It employed a hell of a lot of people, and uh, and it it, improved, it produced a, a fair bit of money into the area, and uh, particularly you know it, didn't, it was a drought-proof sort of an industry too, to a certain extent. So I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty important to the whole, the whole area that the sawmilling. So why was sawmilling shut down in these areas? 
Well, Mr. Bob Carr, in all his wisdom, decided he wouldn't make us, uh, he wanted to be the fellow that made the most national parks or declared the most national parks in New South Wales. And he, um, he actually uh, made, well, he didn't make it a national park because that wasn't a popular term at the time, I think. He made it a, a community conservation area and he took 60% of the forest into the community conservation area. But in my opinion, he took uh, probably 80% of the timber. So was it a slow process, it shutting down, or was it pretty much overnight? Well, there, there was no way that the, the, the amount of sawmills that were here were going to run. So that was a quick process. Most of us uh, just, uh, just closed down immediately pretty well. Uh, they didn't want me to go. They said, you know, we'll build your sawmill, a new mill, brand new sawmill. And I said, well, you know, that'll be handy if I've got nothing to cut, mm. if I haven't got any logs. And besides that, I was 70. So, uh, you know, but I mean, my age wouldn't have worried me at that time, that stage. It was just that uh, there were, the, the main areas were taken off us. And, uh, well, the mills that, uh, mills that kept going, they were all gone. They just mm. couldn't exist. So it's, um, it's terrible. It's a lot of job loss very quickly as well, isn't it? Like it would just crucify the towns. Well, you know, you have 240 direct jobs at least out of the out of the Pelliga and out of those little townships. Now, that doesn't sound a lot when you're in Sydney or somewhere, but here it's quite a big uh, heap of the population and you can see the degradation or the falling away of the little towns around us that uh, because there's just a loss of population. So what did you do once uh, all the jobs were up and there was only four of you left here? Like, what did you do after the sawmills closed? Well, I retired, actually. Money <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was the best job I ever had, but I had the worst boss. I had to put up with Bone all the time. No, I didn't do anything. We, it was a bit of a shock, a bit of a jolt at the time. And uh, so it was a good... We, we took three months, yeah, three months. We went uh, for six weeks over to uh, my son in New York and my then six weeks to my daughter in Ireland, which was lovely, but um, uh, that sort of got it out of my system a bit. Uh, other than that, well, we travelled pretty well, uh, you know. We'd, we'd, we'd go for trips and uh, trips around Australia and trips around the world. So. I love that, that your kids are overseas because even it's hard for me when I'm in bigger places, to say where I'm from. I always say I'm from Canaveral, not Barradine, because it's, yeah. it's bigger. Yeah. But your kid's from Woolibar, so where do yeah. they say? Do they yeah. say Canaveral? Well, they went to school in Canaveral. Yeah. Sort of, but Barradine was my town. Yeah. That was my town, Barradine. And, and Canaveral finished up their town because they went to school in there. Yeah. Um, where they didn't know nearly as many people in Barradine as they knew in Canamble and they were gravitated to the people they knew. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm just picturing, I'm picturing yeah. them trying to explain in New York where they're from. Yeah. <laughs> we had a fellow here and, of course, uh, he reckoned that uh, Tom, our son in New York, he worked on Wall Street and he said, uh, you know, should write a book, Wooly Bar to Wall Street. Yeah. Mm. I thought it'd be... Uh, and he's still in New York, of course. Mm. But my daughter's home. She she's back and lives in Dubbo. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. It's a bit hard to yeah. 
And, and it was like saying to somebody, you know, well, where's the sawmill? Oh, it's in Wabigan. You know, everybody would look at you in blank amazement. So, <laughs> where the hell is Wabigar, you know? Even this morning, Luce trying to say Wabigar, Terridgery, Kenny Bry. What was the other one? I don't know. They couldn't say any of them. <laughs> I was like, what are these places? And to city people who are going to be listening to this podcast, they're quite fascinated by names like that as well because yeah. they're different. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to say, you know, Wabigar, but spelt with a G. Yeah, that was Lou. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, that's, that we used to say while we go, so they couldn't find us to send the bill. Because <laughs> 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 they us up under Wabiga, we wouldn't. Because you know, I don't think I don't think people really understand the vastness of it. Like it's not appreciated. No. Once once you're out here and you see it, obviously, but no one fully understands how yeah. far out you are. And, yeah. Yeah, it's oh, a also mi- as well, of, of forest. It's, it's... I have driven over that creek for years, and the grave on the other side. Can you tell me the story about that? Because yeah. I, I have no idea. I've always asked mum and dad as well, and they don't know. Yeah, well, Burn, uh, Burn can probably tell you more about that because she actually is related. Oh, really? Yeah. So mm. uh, I used to hear the story as a little kid. Oh. She was, uh, yeah, she, uh, this lady, Mrs. Backham, was actually Burns' father's uh, grandmother's sister. They lived here on the bank of the creek. There was a permanent water hole there, and um, even before the bore, apparently. And the, they set up there, and um, the, the husband was away driving uh, or working on properties, and uh, she was there with all the children, and she was hang, hanging out the washing, and she had a, a, an epileptic fit, apparently, and uh, she died. So uh, the kids, for one day, for that day, they kept just moving around in the shade. And then uh, a Bill, Billy Backham, who uh, used to come back here a lot, old Bill, he's a great old fellow, he uh, decided to get the rest of the kids and, and they took, the, he put them in a billy cart, the kids, with a bar, with a billy of water and uh, a little bit of food and he walked them across to Ditchfields, which is 10 miles away I suppose and uh, and they came over and, and buried her on the bank of the creek just shows how vast it is isn't it? Yeah. and uh, the eldest boy he was away too I think he wasn't very old but he was away working and he was with the father I think so they 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 had to come they came back overnight I think or Couple of a day and a night, I think, to get home. They were over at uh, Wearburn. Near Corinda. Near Corinda. Wow, so many stories. Yeah. And like saying that, if if someone was, if we were to ask you what your standout person slash story was of the Pilliga, what would you say? Uh, well, my uncle was a very very funny man. He used to tell some stories about the Pilliga, and he lived in the Pilliga all his life. And he was a cattleman in the Pilliga. Uh, they used to run thousands of head of cattle in the Pilliga at one stage. Uh, now it's got too thick. Uh, you know, it's growing now because we've had real good rain, but during the normal times there's just no feed in the Pilliga. So, um, and he used to, they used to run a lot of cattle over on the, the eastern side and they used to burn it like the Aboriginals did. They'd, when they were finished and when they'd feed that off, they'd burn it, try and match it. And uh, he used to tell the story I thought was quite funny that uh, he was a bit of a kid with them out there and uh, they, were, they were going 
around and he decided that they, they burned it so he'd try and do that too so he started throwing matches around while he was going along with his horse behind them and uh, when they came back he'd burnt the whole camp the, the sulky and the <laughs> everything in the camp was burnt <laughs> so he, I don't think they invited him for quite a while <laughs> but he loved the Pelican and he used to tell a lot of stories about the Pelican with the, so I know like just speaking to people, there has been trouble out here with people planting drug crops and whatnot. Like the forestry workers, I remember talking to, I cannot remember his name, but was saying they used to stumble upon these yeah. marijuana crops. Has yeah. that ever happened to you? No, no. Well, uh, as we say, the other side's thicker. I feel like the other side's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the other, good side. Yeah, the other side's thicker, so it was easier to sort of plant a crop over there than on oh, this God. side. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to follow tracks and things around here. Uh, it, it never sort of, uh, never developed up. Uh, I think I, I thought I found one once. I followed <laughs> the track, but I, there was just, a, I don't know, it had been in there. <laughs> it wasn't there. So I rang the forestry and I said, you know, um, I, I don't know whether there isn't something up there. And they said, well, don't go looking for it, Tom. You might get yourself into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so I never followed any more, but no, but there's never any that I know of on this side. Have you ever been worried out here? Has it ever been? Like, I know they say try not to drive through the scrub at night and whatnot. No, no. Never worried? No, poor old don't get bogged one night and walk how far I've been, about nine 12 miles, kilometers. 12, 12 kilometres through the middle of the night. And I'm driving backwards and she was working in Baradine at the time oh. at the hospital. And I was driving backwards and forwards to Baradine until I ran out of fuel and she was down on another road. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, the, nothing, you know, you didn't get too frightened, I don't think. Pigs, I was frightened. Yeah, pigs. But, you know, there's no wild animals. And I wouldn't like to have worked here if there'd have been... I think tigers and lions and things like that. I think it would have been a bit daunting. <laughs> I feel like that's what city people kind of think of it, don't you think, though? Like they think it's this really mysterious, eerie, dangerous place when to you this is just home. That's home. You know, I, I, well, when I was a kid, we used to just get rabbit traps and we'd, there were a lot of rabbits here then. And, uh, and an old lantern and we'd go and set traps in the daytime and we'd run them at night, just walk through the scrub. We didn't care how far we had to walk. and just We'd put a mark from trap to trap so we didn't get too bushed. But, uh, you know, it was... Uh, I didn't never feel any, um, any feelings other than uh, very friendly ones in the Pilliga. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How about your children? What do they think of being, you know, growing, um, growing up here? Up here? Oh, they love it. Uh, they still love to come home, thank goodness. When we were growing up, it was such a great place for kids. You know, we had the freedom. Uh, we'd go quandonging and, and we had a big whistle on the mill. We had a steam engine in those days. And we had a big whistle on the mill. It was off a ship, they used to tell us. I don't know whether that's right or not. But, although I might have been having a song, but it was a wonderful whistle. You could hear it for miles and miles and miles. And... Uh, we used to go quandong or we'd just ride our bikes around through the bush for the for the day. We'd just take something to eat and a bottle of water and we'd go riding. So that was it always the plan to 
follow in your father's footsteps and do the milling? I think it was a sort of a tradition in my day anyway. You know, I mean, a lot of us, yeah, I, I, I had no intentions of doing anything else but come back here. Of course, my dad died when I was five. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, mum, mum ran the business um, with with my with my uncle, but mum ran this one, and he ran Rocky Creek, and uh, so you know it was uh, it was always a feeling that I'd come back here. Yeah. I know I wouldn't have done anything else. I mean, I, mean, I had to come back and. And uh, give her a backup. And tell us how you met Byrne and roped her into. Yeah, well, being that was a funny one because I was actually going over to. Uh, I'd taken six months off work and I was going over to the Rome Olympics with a world trip on, rolled into one, you know, a nice little trip that we did Europe and America and anywhere else we could get to in the time with a mate of mine who finished up marrying sisters. He married Byrne's sister. So, uh, but uh, we had a, a wonderful time and we, uh, they were giving us a send-off and uh, Byrne was at the party. So there you go. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so it was a coincidence. But, uh, yeah, and uh, it was funny because that night uh, we, were, uh, we went shooting and, uh, and it's the closest thing that I ever got to being shot. Uh, I was... Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. No, it was the fellow, Noel Fitzgerald, who I went on the trip with. We decided to go for a shot down on his place, down towards Baradone. And um, I was using, he was using a, thir- a 303 22, and uh, I was shooting on my side, of course. And uh, so I pulled the trigger and it didn't go off. And I said, Not loaded, Noel. He said, Of course it's loaded. Give it here. He grabbed it and knocked the bolt up like that. No, army 303. And it went off and it went through the top of the car and um, just above my head. And I think everybody's ears rung for about a fortnight. It was so loud in there. And he drove that car around for about 12 months with a cork stuck in the hole. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's how we met. So then uh, when I came back, then I went to Sydney uh, on a... When we went to oh, well, we went down to Sydney to go. I took Byrne out, and we and when I came back, we started to go together. Then she chased me back here, of course. <laughs> she chased you. Yeah, she chased me. <laughs> well, thank you for sitting down with us yeah, and telling us so your much, stories. Tom. Yeah, uh, we appreciate them. It's incredible. I love yeah, it. No problem. Thank you. Not going to lie, driving into the Pilliga, I thought it was super eerie. I was really spooked. I was expecting the Pilliga princess, whoever she may be, to pop out and jump on me. And I was expecting never to come back. No joke. I've heard so many stories about clothes being left on barbed wire fences. And you can just picture it. It's an eerie, eerie place. But But how do you feel now? And now I kind of feel safe. It is. It's It's just a forest. That's what I can't get over. Like people have all these stories, but you listen to someone like Tom and Bernie and it's their home. That's my favourite part. My favourite part is the bit where he talks about his son working in New York and shipping that Cypress all the way from Woolly Bar to his New York apartment and everyone was coming out and smelling it, being like, where did you get that Cypress from? And he said, it's from 
Woolly Bar. Woolly Bar to Wall Street. Yeah. But thanks, Bernie and Tom, for sitting down and chatting to us. What an incredible story. We will definitely be back. More so, Luce would like to see the Brumby, so... <laughs> This episode was produced by Rihanna Mooney, music by Nate Skulls. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling generous and follow our journey on all of our social media pages.